Hey y'all, I'm Reese, and welcome to Making Meaning. Making Meaning is a podcast by the Cohere Collective here to help guide you along your path to make meaning in a way that makes sense for you. This week, I am joined by me, myself, and I for another bonus episode with just me. I've really been enjoying doing these bonus episodes, and I know we haven't had one in a little bit. Um, It's the holidays. Life gets crazy. You all know. Um, But this week, I want to talk to you guys about the concept of home and what home means to me and how I've been thinking about it lately. Um, Because I've just been having a lot of thoughts about it, and it's also been popping up in these really interesting ways in different areas of my life as like, hey, remember this is a concept you've been thinking about a lot? Here's how it's relevant to you right now. Um, So I wanna share some of those experiences and I think it'll be interesting. So if you are new here, please subscribe to the Cohere Collective on YouTube. Um, Leave me a comment down below, letting me know what you think. What does home mean to you? Like this video. And if you are an audio listener, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening. Give me a five-star rating, leave a review. I truly read everything. Not that there's just oodles of things to read for me right now, but every single word just (laughs) touches my heart. And as cheesy and corny as that sounds, like it just makes me so excited when anyone is listening to something that I'm putting out into the world. Knowing that there is an exchange of energy between us is thrilling and powerful and empowering for me. And it just feels like a really beautiful purpose that I get to have because of that. So thank you. And I really do value it. And I value you being here. So with all of that being said, let's take a deep breath. And get started. Hello. Hi. This is the second time I've started recording this podcast. Um, I sat down and started talking and immediately realized that there were things that I was not planning on talking about that... I really need to talk about in order to talk about the concept of home. And so I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to restructure how I'm approaching this conversation. So this is take two, but I'm really excited because I think any time that I share personal stories in this context, it's always really cathartic and powerful for me. But I also feel like it puts on display like how I'm trying to make meaning and how I failed at things in the past and how that's informed the way I make meaning today. And that's going to look different for everyone, but hopefully it gives some insight and some connection for both of us into trying to live meaningful lives together. So I'm going to start with a little bit about how I conceptualize home just as a concept. I think conceptualize home as a concept. Very eloquent, Reese. Good job. But (laughs) you know what I mean. Um, To me, home is not just a place. It is not a building. 
Um, and it's not just people. It's a combination of all of those things and the energy they create when they are all in harmony with each other or disharmony with each other, right? What does that feeling bring up in us? And I think that that feeling we experience when we are in communion with people, physical places, and things, whether that is like memory or a building or anything like that, the feeling that that brings up in us is home. At least to me, home has always been more of a feeling than a place or even a person. So growing up, a really big part of home to me was, of course, always my family, right? Um, Especially my parents. They have always been an integral part of what home means. Um, And the way they make me feel will always remind me of home. But adding this other layer to that, I born, raised, and still living in Dallas, Texas. Um, And I think having lived in one place for my entire life is also really interesting because a lot of people move, right, throughout their time. Even if it's just to move away for college, like, you usually experience some different physical location um, with a different culture. And while I've experienced different microcosms of culture within Dallas and surrounding areas, it's always been tied back to this idea of what it means to be a Texan, of what it means to be a Dallasite, um, and what that means to my family too. So on top of me being born and raised in Dallas, my entire family has basically always been here. We have some people in California, but most of everyone is here. (laughs) Um, My mom and I were born in the same hospital. It's just everything is in the heart of Texas. Even though I don't always agree with this state I live in and the choices that our elected representatives make as a representation of us, there is this other side to my experience of Texas and Dallas that really puts me in tension with how I feel about my physical home. There's also tension with relationships that we consider to be home, right? Um, I have the best parents in the world. I love my parents dearly. We disagree (laughs) on a lot of things. And, you know, growing up and learning that your parents aren't perfect and Going through that realization, not being exactly like your parents, of course, puts me into tension in that way as well, that I'm going to live a different life than my parents did. And a lot of that is that they want me to and they encourage me to, but there's always going to be dissonance in how I choose to live my life and the idealized version of a life that my parents wish for me. So there's also that tension built into home for me as well. I think another dimension of home that is rarely talked about when we think about the idea of home is time spent. Maybe it's talked about a lot. Like now that I'm saying that, well, I was like, why wouldn't time spent be talked about when we talk about home? But I guess I mean time spent in the sense that school for 
pretty much everyone is where we spend a huge part of our time growing up, developing, becoming who we are going to be as adults. And how could that not contribute to the person that you're going to be? And how is that not a piece of the home puzzle, right? I think so often school is separated from the idea of home and like we even have homework. Like this is work that is not at school and it's homework. You leave school and you go home. Home is where you go to sleep. Home is where you do um, family stuff, right? All this stuff. However, we probably spend 50% of our time at school and feeling at home in that place is vitally important to our development and our learning potential. You have to feel safe and secure in order to be vulnerable in order to learn. And this is where I want to start more of my story. So that's kind of ways that I currently think about this concept of home, but now how it has really manifested for me in my life. And while my family home has always been very stable, my school life was radically tumultuous. I think I switched schools 12 times in 13 years. If you count kindergarten, I have been to so many different schools and the decision to leave and go to another school was always motivated by the fact that I did not feel able to learn. And now that I'm thinking about home as a place where you should feel safe and supported to develop, that development is so integral to learning that you have to feel safe and supported in your school environment in order to learn effectively and grow while you're there, which should be the point of school, right? I never felt safe in any of these school systems. I was definitely very lucky and had mentors um, that made me feel comfortable with them. Um, I met some wonderful friends that I was able to be myself with, but it never crossed that threshold into full ability to be vulnerable in order to achieve my potential. And I remember like in elementary school, coming home in tears just every day. I'm so bored. I don't like it there. And it's like, well, you don't like your teacher? You don't like your friends? And it's like, no, they're fine. They're great. It's something about this environment, the intersection of all of these different things that did not work for me. So having this disconnect with all of these different environments growing up um, really taught me a lot. Obviously, um, jumping around a lot of schools, you have to learn how to make friends quickly. You have to learn how to give a good first impression. (laughs) (laughs) how to be accepted into this new culture um, at this new school and also how to not care as much about what people think even though I still deeply care about what people think it really taught me to only care about the people that I really care about that their opinion is the only one that matters if I don't know someone it's much easier for me to disconnect from their opinion of me not say that it's easy but it's easier So that's kind of what school had meant to me for so much of my time. In addition to learning how to read and how to do math, school wasn't just that for me. It was 
a deeply profound social experiment about how do I morph myself into being the version of Reese that is going to be successful here. And then when I realized that I am not actually Reese, I'm the version of Reese that I thought that they wanted, it broke my heart. It felt, even though it was partly my choice, right, to not show up fully as myself, but I think also as I got more and more comfortable in a new place and I started to be more and more genuinely me and not this version of me that I'd cultivated for this new environment, these changes in personality and in personhood that they were seeing would be rejected really quickly. These uncurated pieces of who I was weren't encouraged. And then it felt like I could no longer safely exist in that place, so I had to leave. It created this feeling where I never felt truly safe, fully being me. And I think I still feel that sometimes to this day. I think we probably all feel that to a certain extent in that no one can ever truly know you like you know you. No one is inside your head. You can never really completely share your experience with anyone else. And I think for a very long time, I looked at that reality of life as deeply lonely. Um, And loneliness does not have to mean you are lonely, right? Like being alone does not equal lonely. But I think it felt very lonely to me at that time for a long time when I was growing up. So that tension at school, even though I had this level of um, safety and love and acceptance for who I was at home, still created this underlying idea of like social acceptance that was a challenge for me. This underlying idea that me being socially accepted would always be conditional. I eventually landed at the high school that I graduated from, um, from my junior and senior year, and I absolutely adored this school. It was the first time that I felt like I felt at home in a space that was not my traditional home. And I met some of the best mentors I've ever had, some of my best friends in the world. And I think I really settled into this feeling of, oh, this is what it feels like to be able to be genuinely myself and still okay. Well, I don't even know if it's able to genuinely be myself. I think it's, it was that I first showed up doing that same thing that I had always done, curating a specific version of myself for this new space, wanting to be accepted, wanting this to finally be the place where I felt I belonged, and it being communicated subconsciously and subtly through just how things worked that that's not really what that school was about, what their culture was about. Any time that I kind of threw off this facade that I had put on was 
always the moment that I felt the most loved and welcomed in that space. And it was the first time that I think I really experienced that where it's like, oh, well, I have this really intentionally curated self. Um, Obviously, everyone's going to like that better. That's what everyone's liked in the past. And this was the first time that it was like, no, we actually like your genuinity, your authenticity, you, just you. We just like you. And I don't know if I had ever just felt that, especially in a school environment. During that time, I was also learning how to take ownership of my needs, right? Like both at home and at school and with friends. And I really began to think about what home meant to me. So when the time came to go to college and I was hunting around, I had always, for some reason, I think a lot of people have this where they're like, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to stay in this town. I'm not going to stay in this state. Um, And I had the same thing. I was like, I'm just not going to be in Texas. Really long time. I wanted to go to California. I think that is a common kind of dream that um, a lot of kids have growing up. I wanted to pursue performance, but I found a school in Boston. I I knew I wanted to be coastal, right? Um, And I found a school, small private school in Boston that would allow me to study both performance and philosophy, which is kind of what I wanted. And I was accepted. And I paid the deposit and met my roommate and had to audition in person. Like me and my mom flew to Boston so that I could give my monologue and um, be accepted into the acting school and all of these things. And July, summer, after I had graduated from high school, the July before the August of needing to start college, I had this kind of dark night of the soul, which sounds very dramatic, but for me at the time, it totally was. Looking back on it now, of course, I can have more humor for it because it's like everything was going to be fine and work out. But in the moment of those things, you don't really have that perspective. And I remember just hearing myself say out loud, I don't want to go to Boston. And at that exact moment, the only person I think I knew that was I was close friends of um, that was in college at that point sent me a text and was just like, hey, have you decided on where you're going to college? Checking in. And she happened to be graduating from TCU that next year. And I was like, this is a sign from the universe that I don't want to go to Boston. The only friend I have in college is at TCU and just texted to check in on me. I need to be at TCU. So then starts this journey of telling a college that had already accepted me. I did apply to TCU during the application process that I had already told that I didn't want to go there, that actually I do want to go there. And they're like, ha ha ha, that's very funny. Um, Our freshman class has been closed for months. (laughs) But if you truly want to go here, go to a junior college, a community college, and then transfer in in the spring. And my entire life leading up to this moment had been what I wanted for myself and what I thought other people wanted for me. And this was the first moment that not only did I throw away the expectations that I projected onto other people having of me, 
but that I also threw away the expectations that I had already pre-built for myself. And it was terrifying um, because being a high achiever in school, being someone who has lived a privileged life that has parents that would be able to support me going to college, um, community college was never in the picture, right? Um, And even though it shouldn't be looked down upon, it often is. But I was like, you know what? This is a radical moment of trust and I'm going to do it. So that's what I did. I called the college in Boston and I was like, hey, thank you so much. Can't do this. Um, Reapplied to TCU for the spring and enrolled in a junior college to get the first couple of credits out of the way. And that semester was one of the most difficult of my life, seeing all of my friends go off to these beautiful, big, bright places and meet new people and have these experiences while I was still living at home with my parents in the same city. And home then became this feeling of both a confinement, but also the thing that had set me free. What do I mean by this? Well, a huge reason why I think I needed to make that call was to let go of, like I said, not just the expectations that other people had of me, but the expectations that I had always had of myself, of the things that I thought I needed to do for whatever reason, because I thought it would make me happy, it would make me successful, it would be the life that I had always wanted to live. But you can't live a conceptualized life. You can only live a life that you are actively living. Um, And I think that that was the first time that I had really been confronted with that, that life is not this thing that you're like, you sit down and you meditate on and you think about and you're like, yep, that's the right call. That's the thing that's going to make me feel good and happy and successful and fulfilled and purposeful. It's also going out and trying things and experiencing things and letting that direct you. Not to say that the conceptualizing and thinking about it isn't important, because of course I do think it is, but that life is a verb (laughs) at the end of the day. Life is a lived thing. Um, And you can't pause it while you're spent pondering. And you really don't know what's going to be the right call until you've already made one. And you're already living it. So I think in the middle of me making that call and living with it for that little bit before I had moved to Boston showed me that the things that 14-year-old Reese thought were it are, is not the life that 18-year-old Reese wanted to live. But also... I remember talking to people about this decision and saying this is like the first time in my life that I have felt so good about where I am physically, right? That I felt good with the friendships that I had here in Dallas, that I felt really good about my relationship with my family and the growth that we had all been through together, Um, that I felt really good 
about the person that I was in that moment and that I wanted to keep living that um, for a little bit longer. Not to say that I didn't want to grow or keep changing, but I think it did go back to this notion of home that I had really stumbled into in the last year, this really grounded, secure feeling of homeliness that I don't know if I had ever felt as fully before. And immediately picking up and moving felt like turning my back on something that I had just been given um, or just earned or just created. And I wasn't quite ready for that at that moment. Um, So I ended up going to TCU in the next semester. And I actually, this is not even planned. This is a TCU sweatshirt. I promise I didn't plan that. Um, didn't know I was going to talk about my college experience in this episode until, like I said earlier, I sat down and started talking. Um, And I found a home at TCU that, of course, got flipped on its head. And then I found another home. And, of course, that one's still changing, too, right? But while TCU's in Fort Worth, it's still in the Dallas Metroplex. um, And therefore, my home, my place of residence, has never not been within two hours of where I grew up. And as someone who really values growth and experience and trying new things, knowing that that's a fact about myself is really interesting, but also surprising. But like I said, 14-year-old Reese would never have thought that I would still be living here today as a 24-year-old. So here comes the next big change um, in my relationship with home. I move from Fort Worth, going to college, back to Dallas with my lovely, lovely friends. And I take a trip to Italy with my lovely, lovely parents. And I fall in love with the country, not a person. (laughs) I realized that sounded a little misleading. In my brain, it made sense. Maybe it wasn't misleading and now I'm being weird about it. Whatever. I fell in love with Italy. And just about every single city every single person, every single experience I had while we were there was so beautiful and just filled with light and promise. And as we're walking around all of these different gorgeous cities, there always just seemed to be a university around um, and students walking and doing their thing. And so we get home and this is the first time that I didn't want to leave a vacation, which was first and foremost interesting because I've always been someone who's like, yeah, this is, it's been wonderful. I had a great time on this vacation. I'm ready to be home. Like I I do like having my feet on the soil of where my family has roots, of where my parents are an hour down the road and I have my routine set up here, right? And that kind of feeling of home, of being familiarity, that that familiarity was something that I usually miss when I'm on vacation. There was a familiarity about Italy that was different to any other place I visited that made me want to stay, that didn't make, it already had that sense of home that Dallas does for me. So... I'm now moving to Italy. Next year, I'm going to go back to school and study over there. 
don't know a lick of Italian. It really feels like such an extreme shift for me. But as I'm kind of preparing to not just move to a different city, state, country, but also continent in completely new culture, I've just been thinking about home a lot more recently, as you can probably tell, and what my relationship with home has been and how it's changed. And I'm so excited to continue exploring this. And I think the biggest thing that I have found throughout kind of making this decision to move and through contemplating all of these things that I've kind of just shared with you is that home has never been stagnant for me. It has always been this moving, evolving, rapidly changing thing, even though the physical place has always stayed the same, at least up until now. And there's an interesting sort of dichotomy there where I think the, the feeling that home conjures is a little bit different every single time I feel it. The, the home I feel when I'm cuddling with my mom on the couch is very different than the home I feel when I'm on a sailboat with my dad is very different than the home I feel decorating my Christmas tree with my roommates, is very different than the home I feel visiting my ancestors' grave sites here in Dallas, is very different than the home I felt in Italy. And yet, those all still fell under the umbrella of home for me. (laughs) Don't know why I'm getting emotional. And I think that I'm starting to realize that home is not a stagnant thing, but this river that flows through each of us. The same way that we can only ever know ourselves in this very specific, intimate way. Only you can know yourself and only I can know myself. I think that is home for me in the sense that We are our own homes. This body, this mind, this spirit, whatever you want to call it, whatever you believe in in that sense, is the frame and container through which I experience and hold everything. And as I grow and change, my home does too. Because I am my own home. And it's been really hard for me to reconcile with the fear of knowing what my home feels like here within familiarity, within the familiarity of certain people and places and things that I love. But how does me as a home for myself change in the familiarity of a place I've never lived before? It's going to be a wild and rewarding and hard and powerful journey, I think, but one that I'm really excited for. So as I've been, you know, really contemplating how home has become this flowing, changing, morphing thing, the idea of home has popped out in all of this different content that I've been consuming lately, which it's also just interesting. It's kind of like the new car phenomenon. When you get a new car, 
you see that car everywhere because now it's at the forefront of your mind. Um, so it's like there's probably a little bit of that, that like now that I'm thinking about home and what home means to me a lot, like I'm seeing the notion of home everywhere. But also it's just been kind of like little nods from the universe, I think, too, in the sense that I'll just be scrolling on Pinterest and like five quotes will be on my Pinterest page that are all about home. And it's like, well, that's odd <laughs> that they're all about home. Um, so I want to share some of these things with you that I've kind of pulled from different things that have come across my um, path lately. But the first one I want to share is about Brittany Broski and her podcast, um, The Broski Report. I'm a big Brittany Broski fan. And her podcast is fabulous. Definitely go give it a listen. But of course, if you're listening to this, you know who Brittany Broski is and you probably love her dearly. Um, But she is also from Texas. And I think that I have a kindred spiritness with her experience as a Texan um, because she talks about the tension in Texas being her home because you can so love a place and how you define it and what that represents to you while still absolutely abhorring some of the things that it actually does and represents to other people. And that that's a dissonance that she as a Texan lives with. And I think that's a dissonance that I live with as well that has greatly informed my definition of home and what it means to need to make a home for myself within myself separate from a state identity. To me, Texas is hospitality. It is a cool glass of ice sweet tea on the hottest summer day. It is a lemonade stand where someone gives you a 20 instead of a 25 cent quarter. Texas is blue bonnets that no one picks out of respect for our state flower. It is pride and ego about what it means to be a Texan, but also saying, come on in. We want you to experience this too. We want you to know why we're so proud of who we are. To me, Texas is the don't mess with Texas campaign that for the longest time I thought was about uh, gun laws or something else, but it's actually about not polluting or littering and keeping Texas, Texas and beautiful. Texas to me is history and finding lessons in failure. One of the biggest things in history for America, but the biggest thing in history for Texas that if you know anything about Texas, you probably know is remember the Alamo. We lost horribly at the Alamo and yet it's a thing that every Texan remembers. Love for our fellow man and woman and person, pride in being good people. That's what Texas means to me. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, it means holding things over other people's heads. It means pride without humility. It means taking away rights from women. It means prioritizing gun laws that are killing children. It means people who still wave the Confederate flag idiotically and racistly. And while those are parts of Southern culture that I do not identify with, it is a part of Southern culture that I have to reckon with 
as a Texan. And that these things that I don't agree with will always be a part of our history and of the people who live here. I think we can hold disappointment and disapproval and love and hope for growth in both hands. But I think both of those things have to come with honesty and truth. I've really been thinking about that a lot lately after I heard Brittany talking about it and how this Texas will always be a part of my home and how I conceptualize it, but it will always be a part of how I disconnect from the idea of home too. Because there are so many people that also call this place home that I don't agree with. Not only don't agree with, vehemently disagree with a lot. And being a woman in the Bible Belt and all of the things that come with that and the expectations of that. Um, Gosh, I could go on for hours about the tension built in to a Texan woman. (laughs) So I think it was almost inevitable that I was going to view home complexly because of all these things. But I'm really glad that I have now gotten to a place where I can be grateful for the parts of the South that bring me comfort and joy and bring a lot of other people belonging while also wanting to just excise the malignant pieces that taint that for so many. And I also want to acknowledge that my ability to hold those both of these, the good and the bad, comes with being privileged and being white, that not everyone gets the opportunity to necessarily look at these things without it being a direct threat to their life. So yeah, thinking about the complexity of home in that sense. Thank you, Brittany Broski, for inspiring that in me. Um, And now I want to share a couple quotes and my thoughts on them about home that I've discovered lately. One of them popped up on a meme page that I follow, (laughs) which I was like, this is so random. Why is this funny meme page posting this? But here we are. This is the internet. Oh, so this this is the one that was posted on the um, meme page that I follow, and it's a definition. Um, I think it's pronounced Hyraith. Hyraith? It's spelt H-I-R-A-E-T-H. And it's defined as a homesickness for a home to which you cannot return, a home which maybe never was. The nostalgia, the yearning, the grief for the lost places of your past. And when I read this, I just kept thinking about the homesickness that I feel for my youth a lot of the time and that carefreeness and peace that youth brings us. But knowing that I'm never going to be able to go back there to that level of ignorance, nor would I want to because there's so much beauty in being a mature person and being able to experience the world complexly and in nuanced ways. 
that that's added so much more dimension and experience and yes, pain, but also joy to my life. But I still have this homesickness for nostalgia. But also this line and the definition of a homesickness for a home that maybe never was, I think is so powerful because I think probably everyone, but some more than others, have an experience with their childhood childhood home, childhood home, or the concept of a traditional home that, you know, our parents, I do believe everyone is doing the best they can. And I think all parents are doing the best they can, but sometimes their best just isn't good enough. And I think a lot of people probably have a homesickness for the childhood home that they never had. And even though I had a near-perfect childhood, I still have this homesick feeling for memories that I'll never get to have and experiences that I'll never get to have. And my parents will never drive me to school again. That makes me a little homesick for that feeling, right? But also I'll never get to experience a childhood um, with a sister and that's always kind of been something that I would like to experience. I'll never get to experience a home different than the one I had, right? And I think all of us could pinpoint and nitpick the ways that we wanted our childhood to be better or different, but that the things that we're the most homesick for that we never got probably tell us more about ourselves and what we need now than anything else. So if something popped into your mind when I read that, maybe investigate. If you have homesickness for something that you never had, I think that probably tells us more about ourselves now because we all have things that we won't ever get to take away from ourselves, but we also all have things that we will never be able to experience. And if one of those things is something that you have this like yearning for, a nostalgic yearning for, that's probably your inner child, right? Another quote that popped up, um, it's an Anne Sexton quote, and it says, I didn't feel at home in life. And this one kind of knocked the breath out of me just because I know I felt like that before. I'm sure we all have, but it really reaffirmed this feeling of having to be our own homes, regardless of how good your home life is or how brilliant your physical home is or whatever, you have to live your life as your most sacred space. We do that because life is not built. Human beings are not built to be able to share intimate experiences, firsthand experiences with each other. We are meant to share intimate experiences. And I think that that's part of why human beings have such a draw to want to connect and experience things together is because there is also this innate knowing that we cannot express the ultimate experience of what it is like to be ourself. But also, I think we also all know that that is a shared experience. So there's this really weird cognitive dissonance in like eternal loneliness in knowing that you will only ever feel at home within yourself. 
But because of that, you feel so unhomely in the world. But then when we talk about this experience and we can commiserate about it and share what that unhomeliness feels like, you build community. But then in community, at least for me, maybe I'm just talking about my own experiences and projections. But then in that community, I'm once again reminded of how close we can get to one another and where that boundary really is. As much as we can exchange energy and story and thought, we cannot exchange experience. We will never know what it is to be inside someone else's experience. And that's both beautiful and terrifying, right? I don't know. I think so. Um, I have two more quotes, and these two are at odds with each other. And I think they're both very interesting. So I'm going to read the first one, which is from Clementine von Radix. So Clementine von Radix says, what is a home if not the first place you learn to run from? And when I first read that, I was like, whoa, yeah, like we all have this dream of like getting out, right? Or um, like I was talking about earlier, everyone has this dream of like, well, I'm not going to go to college in this state or this city. I'm getting out of, I'm getting out of this joint. Um, and that the trauma or negativity from your home life causes us to run a lot of the time. However, I think that in my personal experience of what running from home has looked like, anytime I thought I was running away from home, I've actually been running towards it. And I really believe that home is the first thing we learn to run into, towards. At least in the sense that home is not where you're born. Home is not who you're born to. Home is your chosen family. Home is the people you surround yourself with. Home is the traditions you get to make, the soil where you plant your feet, the sanctuaries you build for yourself, and the beautiful esoteric body that you are in. That is home. And what is the human experience if not trying to get closer and closer to what we see as ourselves? Uh, trying to understand this home that we are doomed to live in, but also knowing where the confines of our home is, is what gives us the power to know when we are breaking beyond it. So maybe home is the first thing that a lot of us learn to run from. However, I think that without a prison cell, you don't know you're breaking free. Without something you're running from, you don't have anything to run towards. If we are truly our ultimate homes, we can never really run from ourselves and who we are. But knowing that we are a prisoner to our own experience gives us the delineation, the line in the sand to know when we've crossed over it. And I don't know if that's possible within this lifetime. In a less metaphysical, philosophical sense, I also think that these moments of home that are so dear to me are the feelings that I will always chase for the rest of my life, right? Like I said earlier, being on a sailboat with my dad, 
cuddling on the couch with my mom, my mom reading me books to fall asleep when I was little, my dad making me pancakes on a Sunday morning. These, that home, not those things, but the feeling that that conjures is always going to be what I am trying to feel again and what I want to make someone else feel. And I think that's why, at least for me, home is such an important part of making meaning. If we don't know where we've come from, where we currently are, we don't know where we're going. And so often our own definition of meaning is defined by the parameters that we've either given ourselves or we are forced to be within. But that's when we can expand and experience and choose what to focus on and choose how we craft our life with the home that we want to create, the internal and physical body home that we want to live within and the feeling that we want to be in. Last quote. So like I said, this one is um, kind of at odds with the Clementine Von Radix one, which is what is home if not the first place we've learned to run from. This one is from Chelsea Dingman from Psychogeography, which I have not read, but is now on my list. So again, apologies if this is slightly out of context, but I still think it lends interesting insight into this conversation. And this quote is, I've been trying to go home my whole life. And I think Dingman just wraps up my thoughts about home so beautifully with this quote that even though I've experienced home, within myself, within other people, within different places, within different mental states, it's always fleeting. It's almost like that phenomenon when you have a word on the tip of your tongue and you're like, oh, 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 there there, there it is. And then it kind of drifts away from you. You have this feeling of like being utterly at home where you are, who you're with, how you are. And then you become aware of that and it kind of dissolves away and you try and get back there, but you never will be able to get back to that exact moment. And the awareness of it is kind of what broke it down. And yet the impermanence of feeling truly at home, I think is part of what makes it so beautiful. Again, the the delineation between at home and unhomely lets us know when we do feel within that space of home. And I do think that I have been trying to go home my whole life. I think that we all have been or return home or truly find a home. And it is impossible to, once you've kind of grasped that feeling, ever let it not slip through your fingers. Because I think homeliness might be a thing that as human beings, we can't really experience within this form. And this is when we get into my kooky metaphysical beliefs a little bit, but I do believe that each of us is a small piece of a bigger consciousness, that we are all, Jorge Luis Borges, I believe, states it as we are all fingertips of God's existence. And I love that image. And if that's true, which I believe it to be, What is home if not returning back to source? If we are all these experiences of life experiencing itself consciously, the only way we will ever be able to return back to home, to the truth of who we 
capital A, R, will be that return. That death and rebirth. And I think we have many experiences of that, many being M-I-N-I, many experiences of that cycle of death and rebirth and returning to who we are within this lifetime. And that's when you get that feeling of, oh my gosh, I am at home. I am at peace. I am settled within truth. I am comporting through my truth. But then the awareness of our human form experiencing it dissolves it because then it's like it's trying to put infinity into the dimension of time and space. (laughs) Which, of course, infinity can't be experienced within this physical dimension. But I think those glimpses of home that we all feel makes me really hopeful for the universal human experience and how that can hopefully eventually be a source of good, be a place that more people can operate from to find and build and grow compassion for each other and move towards peace and understanding. I want to add one more thing before we close out. In light of talking about home and the idea of homeliness and unhomeliness and also how I hope that that shared experience of the human condition and how home is related to that can bring about more peace and compassion in the world. It would feel wrong of me not to at least note the violence that is going on in our world right now and the people who have homes being taken away from them. Um, I'm not an expert. I'm not a historian. I'm not a politician. But I do think that it's important that anyone with a platform, even one as small as mine, speaks about the things that are going on in our world right now. I I find that deeply important, especially when you're making content like I do that is about living with meaning and purpose. And the conversation around making meaning is a privileged one to even be able to have. It is a privilege to be able to say, on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I have everything met and now this conversation about making meaning can take place. My voice is also not the most important one that we should be listening to. Just want to encourage you to do your research and contact your elected officials. At least in America, we live within a democratic republic and most of my listeners are American. In a democratic republic, it is our duty to communicate to our elected officials the policies that we want to see enacted. Make your voice heard, your vote counts, and the way you communicate to the world and to the people in charge of these policies is important. Talking about these things and the shared human experience and the importance of living life meaningfully and in alignment with our values will make the world a better place. So the more that we investigate these questions, hopefully we'll see an impact on the world around us. Lastly, I would love to know your experience with home. What does home mean to you? What do you think has informed your definition of home? How would you define home? Have you ever moved somewhere crazy? What was that experience like? How do people impact your experience of home? I want to know. So let me know in the comments down below or on Instagram or anywhere else. I think that is all I have for you today. 
And as always, thank you so much for being here. Making Meaning is a podcast by the Cohere Collective. I am really grateful for each and every one of you that is here (laughs) listening to me. If you want more of the Cohere Collective, head to www.thecoherecollective.com or follow us on Instagram at the Cohere Collective, where most of our stuff is. You can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Threads, and TikTok, all at the Cohere Collective. If you would like to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at Lillian Reese Brown. And again, subscribe to the podcast here on YouTube. Give me a like, give me a comment down below. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave me a five-star review or rating. And I also think that this could be a really cool episode to share with someone in your life to start important conversations. I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but the more that I'm putting episodes out, the more that I find I'm having really rewarding conversations with people. And it's been a really, really awesome starting point for a lot of growth and meaningful conversations for me. A huge thank you to Nicole Ostriker for making Meanings Art and Podcast cover. You can find her on Instagram at Nicole O Creates or Nicole O Design. And a huge thank you to Tristan Morgan for making Meanings theme music. You can find him on Instagram at Tristan Morgan. Right now I am feeling nervous. <laughs> I don't know why, but recording podcasts by myself sometimes makes me nervous. And now that I've just finished recording, the nerves are kind of back. But that's okay. I think it is important that we do things even when we're scared. That is all I have for y'all. And I hope you feel like you are living more coherently. Until next time, love.